The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Look at this passage of Scripture. Three things I want you to see uh, today when it comes to uh, what fellowship. First of all, uh, Paul was was talking to these believers. And how do we know they were believers? Well, the Bible tells us in, in verse number 14 that uh, Paul was giving instruction. Verse 13, he says, I'm talking to you like children. He was talking to the church that was at Corinth, and he was saying to this church, and by the way, uh, Paul, we know, uh, had preached at Corinth that believers had come to Christ, and we know that uh, a church had formed there at Corinth, and, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God used Paul to uh, pen two books to the church that was at Corinth, First Corinthians and Second Corinthians as we're in today, and, and Paul was speaking to believers. He was talking to the church. Uh, by the way, the Holy Spirit of God, we know it's His Word. He's not just talking to the church that was at Corinth, but He's talking to the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. He's talking to all of us today. His Word's been preserved, not so that we can look back historically and see His writings to a group of people, so that we can understand that these writings were by God's Spirit to all God's people. And so we see the admonition here as Paul's speaking to uh, the church here at Corinth. He's talking to them as children, he says. He's talking to them, by the way, who's doing the talking? It's God's word, right? So it's easy for us to understand how God was using Paul to talk to them as children because it was God's word. Paul was just the mouthpiece, and God was the father speaking to his children. God, aren't you glad the father talks to us? He speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? Listen, uh, don't be looking for those late night dreams and visions and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use experiences in life and all those things. But some people are looking for a sign and they've already been given the sign. We have the word of God. God speaks to us through that. Sometimes it just don't eat pizza too late at night. And maybe that would stop some of the visions that we have, you know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we're, we're looking for some kind of sign or some kind of vision. And we're ignoring the vision that is here. The Bible says, where there is no vision, speaking of the word of God, the people perish. And the word of God is the vision, not my vision, not your vision. It's God's word. It's not a man with a vision. It's God has a vision for all of us. And he he reveals that vision to us in his word, doesn't he? And he tells us uh, his will for us. Sometimes we we enamor ourselves or uh, uh, endanger ourselves as Christians because we're trying to find out God's will like it's some kind of uh, aloof mystery. We're never going to figure it out. Hey, God's revealed his will to us as Christians in his word. And he wants us to walk in the word of God. He wants us to live the word of God and hear a father speaking to his children. I'm glad that God speaks to us. And here uh, he gives an admonition. But three things when it comes to fellowship. The first uh, thing uh, this morning, if you're taking notes, is number one, the nature of fellowship. The nature of fellowship. Notice he talks about, uh, in verse number 14, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, And then he says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion? If you look at these words, you can underline them, circle them, just take note in your mind. Notice the words he uses. Fellowship, communion. Verse 15, what concord hath Christ with Belial? Uh, Verse 15, he said, he that believeth in an infidel. Notice verse 16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? He uses the word fellowship, communion, concord, agreement. He's describing, if you would, fellowship. When two are walked together, the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Uh, The Bible says that as God's church, 
We're supposed to be in agreement, not because I bowed to your preference or you've bowed to mine, but that we have come together and bowed to God's word, that we are uh, making him, he's the Lord, he's the king. Hey, all of us have an opinion, right? We, nobody likes to share them. Y'all awake this morning, everybody okay? All right, waiting for meatball sandwiches, I get it, all right? But uh, we got, uh, all of us have an opinion. All of us have a preference on a varying degrees of subjects. Christians debate and, uh, and discuss and argue over all kinds of different things that uh, the Bible says we shouldn't even worry about. And sometimes we get all in a fuss over our preference or our idea or our opinion. And we're not coming together so that my will is done or that your will is done, but so that God's will is done. We come together around the Word of God and we're not bowing to my preference, not bowing to your preference, but we're bowing to what God's Word says together. We say, what God's Word says, we want that. That's fellowship, that's agreement, that's concord, that's communion. We have that time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What does the Lord's Supper do for the church? I believe it purifies God's church. The Bible tells us that as we come together, we, uh, we examine ourselves, and uh, we don't eat and drink the bread unworthily. What does it do for God's church? It brings purity to God's church, but it also brings the byproduct of that is unity to God's church, doesn't it? It brings us together. Because we all come together remembering why we're here, remembering how we got here, remember, remembering what we really have in common. Hey, listen, as we sang, the choir sang that song, every tribe and tongue and nation and language and people. Hey, listen, if we look around the room, we don't have a lot in common that way. Came from different backgrounds, different geographic locations, different cultures, different races, different languages. But what do we have in common? Jesus Christ. That's the commonality, isn't it? Hey, listen, that's what we're going to have in common in heaven. That's what brings us in fellowship here together. That's why we come together. We're in, we're in the family of God, and we've been born into that family. Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when we got born into this family, what happened? If any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new, talk to me, church, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does he describe to us as we become part of God's family? We receive a new nature. We've received a new nature, haven't we? In other words, that old nature, don't you wish the old nature would have went away completely? But still there, isn't it? It's that thing says, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I don't like so-and-so, they don't like me. It's that old nature, isn't it? And that old nature rears its ugly head and we, we deal with it. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I die daily. He's, he's talking about that old flesh, that old nature. We know that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we still have the presence of sin because of our old nature. One day, hey, listen, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise. One day, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality and this old flesh is going to go away and we're going to get a glorified body, that same body that Jesus was robed in as he uh, rose again from the grave. He had that glorified body, ascended to heaven with that glorified body. God's going to give us a body. We're going to see him. We're going to be like him, the Bible says. What's a great thing about that, that thing that's coming? There's coming a day, right? No heartache, no, no sin. We understand that's coming. But what happened with us when we got saved? Well, this old nature. We got this old nature, but we got a new nature. It's not just the old nature. It's a new nature. I became a new creature. I received a new nature. And that nature uh, is, is different. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's an enmity. It's the enemy of the old nature. 
We are enemy. Our new nature is an enemy of the old nature. Ever feel like there's a battle going inside your own heart, your own mind? You, anybody ever argue with themselves? Don't do it out loud with a lot of people around now. But, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we have this battle, and some people feel as Christians, they say, they say, I wish I'd just stop struggling as a Christian. The truth is you will always struggle as a Christian until Jesus comes back. You always struggle. There's always going to be a struggle. By the way, they say, the kids say, the struggle is real, right? It is real. We have, we have a real struggle, don't we, going on inside of us, and that struggle's not going to go away until Jesus comes back. There's always going to be that battle. Some people are trying to do away with the battle and do away with the struggle instead of understanding that the struggle is part of God's plan for us here. And then one day, we're not going to have that struggle anymore. One day, uh, Jesus Christ is going to do away with that, and we're going to have perfect peace. But aren't you glad that in this life, in this life, we have that new nature? That is the nature of God, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that indwelled the Lord Jesus Christ indwells every child of God. We don't pray for a baptism of the Spirit because if you become born again, you have the baptism of the Spirit. Jesus said it himself, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We were born of God by the Spirit of God through the preaching of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hear by the Word of God. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, we were born again. We received a new nature, and Paul is speaking to the church is Corinth, and to every believer, he's saying to all of us, listen, Christians, you got a new nature. But I understand you have that old nature. Paul said, I, he identified himself over and over again. I have the old nature just like you have the old nature. The difference is, is which one are you living unto, and which one are you going to fellowship with? So he's, he's identifying the nature of fellowship. It's nature that determines association. I mean, think about the the uh, illustration that God himself uses in the passage of Scripture. Look what he uses. Be ye not what? Unequally, what's the word? Yoked. Is he talking about eggs? What's he talking about? What's that word? What's he talking? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Old Testament law and principle that they were not to. In the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded not to put an unclean animal in a yoke with a clean animal. In other words, they were not to be put together in the same yoke. A yoke of oxen, they put that yoke around them and they're pulling together in the same direction for the same purposes, aren't they? And what, what, what is he saying? He's throwing back to what these people would have understood, the Old Testament principle. Now, again, they're not under the law, they're under the grace, but he's giving the principle and the reason why God gave that law. He wanted to reveal to them, just like he told them to sacrifice. Hey, he told them to sacrifice lambs. Does those lambs wash away their sin? No, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John the Baptist, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So who washes us from our sin? Jesus Christ, doesn't he? So Jesus Christ was that lamb without blemish, without spot, washed our sins away, we sang this morning. The truth is, though, that uh, he needed to show them symbolically about salvation. He also uses principles of the law to reveal to them how to live the Christian life. And so he's showing them there. He said, hey, listen, don't be unequally yoked in a clean animal. It's got nothing to do uh, in a yoke, being in a yoke with an unclean animal. He said, be not unequally yoked together. A pig has a pig's nature. It associates with other pigs in a mud hole. A sheep has a sheep's nature. It 
eats grass and the flock or the pasture. The Christian possesses a divine nature and therefore he should not want to associate himself with others that are not of that same nature. In a sense, I don't want to be in fellowship with. Some people say, well, Jesus, Jesus met together with sinners. The Bible said he had no fellowship with them, but he was a friend of them. Isn't that interesting? How can you be a friend without fellowship? The best way you can be a friend to those that are lost and those that don't know Christ is by living the gospel and sharing the gospel. Not going to, Jesus didn't go for social gatherings. He went to preach the gospel to them. He went to teach them the truth. He went to show them the, the way, the truth, and the light. Uh, uh, by the way, this doctrine of separation has been, has been turned into something that the Bible says that it's not. And it's not a doctrine of isolation. In other words, that God doesn't tell us, command us as Christians to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. We're in the world. We're to make a difference in the world. Salt has savor. The light makes a difference. God tells us to be in the world, but God tells us have no fellowship in a sense of what he's talking about, Christian fellowship, someone of the same nature. So there's a nature of fellowship. Why can we have fellowship? Hey, listen, we talked the last two weeks about this. We fellowship because we have God's spirit. God's spirit brings that fellowship. We can't fellowship if we don't have, have God's spirit. That's the person that gives us fellowship. Hey, listen, could you fellowship with God before you had God's spirit? couldn't. Remember, remember Adam, we talked about Adam, he sinned against God. What happened? He didn't walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden. He broke. There was no fellowship with him anymore. Fellowship was gone. And listen, God was showing us that's what happened. Listen, Jesus Christ came to restore our fellowship with God again. Aren't you glad we can fellowship with God? I, I couldn't work my way to fellowship with God. I couldn't listen. None of us could go to God and say, God, eventually I'm going to be good enough that you're going to want to spend time with me. God, eventually I'm going to be clean enough that you can can fellowship me. God, I'm going to work my way to a position by doing a bunch of good things. I'm going to join a church and I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to give and I'm going to be in perfect attendance and I'm going to labor and I'm going to labor and I'm going to labor. Listen, none of that stuff would have restored fellowship with God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. He's the one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus restored our fellowship with God. And the Bible says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship what? one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What has caused us to be able to be in the yoke together? Paul called them co-laborers together with him. How are we co-laborers? How can we be in the yoke together? Because we have the same nature. We've been given the same nature, God's nature. Your nature and my nature were against God's nature. God gave us all his nature. You know what happens? We come together and we say, death to our nature. We put down our nature. We want to be in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. So there's, number one, the nature of fellowship. Um, Notice again, Paul uses these nouns, fellowship, communion, concord, part, agreement. Each of these words speaks of something having in common. What's in common? He wants us to share with each other fellowship, having common communion, the blessings of the Christian life. He wants us to enjoy that word concord uh, is the same word that we get symphony or harmony. Harmony and agreement, we live and work together. When we walk with the world and with the Lord at the same time, we break this spiritual fellowship and we create discord and division. In other words, he's saying to this church, he's saying, you, what fellowship? What fellowship? What You don't have that nature. That's not true. You've been given a new nature. 
That old nature is supposed to die. You're not supposed to have that fellowship. What fellowship hath light with darkness? What fellowship? So Paul saw unbelievers and believers in contrast to each other. He said righteousness, unrighteousness, lightness, darkness, Christ, Belial, belief, infidelity, unbelief, temple, idol. How could you possibly bring these opposites together? But the world says coexist. The world says be in fellowship with. The world says tolerate. The world says we can walk together and not be in agreement. This is the truth. It's, it's a lie. It's a lie. You can't. It's impossible. And when you try, you know what happens? You don't have that kind of fellowship that you should. It causes discord and division in God's church. We come in then with our ideas and we, we bring uh, worldly ideas and we bring our worldly mindset. We bring our old nature. We bring our old desires into God's church. We pollute and infect the church of God. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. We interact with, why do we interact with the lost to bring them to Christ? Whether at work or socially or out in the world, the idea is that we would be a witness unto him. That's God's word. We could disagree all we want, but it's God's words. what God's word says uh, when it comes to our interaction with the world. The nature of fellowship, number two, the command of fellowship. Look at it, verse number 17. Verse 17. He says, here's the command of fellowship. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them. God commands his people. Come out. It implies a a definite act on their part. He says, be ye separate. Here's the action, come out. Here's the action, come out. Here's the devotion, be ye separate. I'm devoted to God for a special purpose. God wants to use me. I I want to be used of God. I I want to be uh, in my life a a vessel unto honor. I want to be an instrument of of righteousness, and I want to be used of God, and so I've got to come out, and he says, be separate. It's a positive act of, of action. It's an act of devotion. It's an act of dedication. Notice we separate from sin unto God. Every, some people, they focus so much on the negative side. I got to separate from sin, but here's the positive side. You're separating yourself unto God, unto God, Hey, listen, when I got saved, isn't that what happened? I turned from sin to the Savior. I didn't just say, God, save me from the penalty of my sin. If we took a poll today and said, does anybody want to die and go to hell? Nobody wants to do that. We don't ask God to just save us from the penalty of sin. We ask God to save us from our sin. Notice, notice that's the, the, the thing that John the Baptist said about Jesus. He shall save his people from their sin, from their sin, not just from the penalty. Aren't you glad that you were saved in the process from the penalty of the sin? But I'm glad that I've been saved from the sin. Are you with me? Saved from the sin. He said, hey, listen, you turn from your sin. That's why I said repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Repent and follow. There's an action uh, to turn away from one thing and to turn to another. God says, out of darkness, what? Into light. And so there's a turn from something to something. Can I submit to you this morning, church, what we turn from was nowhere near as wonderful as what we turn to. We turn to Jesus. 
Hey, listen, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we look full in his wonderful face, hey, listen, when we look unto Jesus, we lay aside every weight and every sin. You with me? Is that what he says? He says, he says, hey, Christian, he says, lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset you. And what? And look unto Jesus. He doesn't just say, stop doing what you're doing. He says, start doing this. Run the race that's set before you. It's not so much some Christians that pride themselves in all the things they don't do, and then they commit the sins by not doing anything. You know, it's a sin to not do anything in the Christian life. It's not just good to say, well, I stopped doing this, and I stopped doing that. Hey, that's great. What you stopped doing, that's wonderful. But if you didn't start doing something, there's a problem. We stopped living that old life, and we started living the new one. We, we stopped, hey listen, uh, we stopped, you maybe stopped going to some old places. I hope you started to go, started to, go to some new places. It, God didn't say, oh, you're going to be a loner, you're going to be on your own, there's not going to be, aren't you glad for the family? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, aren't you? I'm not alone, you're not alone. Hey, look around you today. We're not here for some social gathering, just relig- uh, ritualistic religious purposes today. We've come because we wanted to sing hallelujah to the Lamb today. Hey, listen, lost people don't like singing about God. I don't care what kind of song it is. They they don't like singing about God. You know why Christians love singing about God? Because He's our Savior. He's our Lord. We love to worship the Lord. We love to praise the Lord. Hey, uh, there's a command to come out. There's a command to be separate. Hey, I'm coming out from the old, and I'm separating myself to the new. I'm separating myself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'll give you another illustration. God says that he's the bridegroom, and we're the what? We're the bride. When I got married, and uh, that happened uh, 14 years ago, this past July, when I got married, that's, some of you have been married a lot longer, some of you not as long, but I, I tell you what I understood that day is what I did is I separated myself from every other person in this world in a marital relationship unto someone else. Was that a terrible thing? No, people go to the wedding, they go, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. You believe that. That person is cutting himself off from every other option in this world, from being in a relationship with all the people he could be in a relationship with, and he's separating himself just for one person? How ridiculous. You know, the world says to you as Christians, you just got rid of all your options. You had all these things that you could have done. You had all these other people you could have did them with. You you had all these other options, and now you got one, you got one. Hey, listen, we don't need anybody else. We got Jesus. We don't need anybody else. He satisfies. He supplies every need. Isn't Jesus enough this morning? He's enough. He's enough to save us. He's enough to sanctify us. He's enough. Hey, listen, I'm happy because of Jesus today. Hey, listen, there's a lot of other things in this world that could have made us happy, but not for long. Not for long. But Jesus satisfies. He said that to the woman at the well, didn't he? He said, he said if you drank the water I have to give you, never thirst again. She didn't leave there upset because she had to leave all those men that she had involved her life in because she met the one man that she needed, and she didn't need anybody else after that. 
She had what she needed. She was fulfilled and she was supplied. Hey, listen, when you get Jesus, the way the Bible says you need Jesus, you don't need anybody else. You don't need the devil. You don't need the world. You don't need all that mess anymore. You've got Jesus and he's enough. Hey, what message is a Christian that's living a carnal life sent to this world? They're sending this message loud and clear. Jesus is not enough. He's not enough. I want to have Jesus and I want to have all my options. I want to have Jesus, and I want to have all my choices. I want to have Jesus, and I want to have my old life. Hey, listen, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. What fellowship? You can't be in light and in darkness. He tells us that. He makes it clear. Not only is there the nature of fellowship and the command of fellowship, but there's also, lastly this morning, the promise of fellowship. The promise of fellowship. Notice the promise that follows. Verse number 17. He says, come out. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. He's not talking about the old law. He's not talking about, he's not saying don't eat bacon for breakfast. That's not what he's talking about when he talked to those Jews about unclean. He's not talking about that anymore. What's he talking about? That which is against the nature of God. That which is in opposition to God. That which is not of fellowship, in fellowship with God. Stay away. Don't touch that thing. Don't have fellowship with it. Now what's he saying? Here's the promise. Here's what happens. I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Say, what in the world? He's teaching work salvation. No, he's not. No, he's not. Look at it. God becomes our Father when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's not saying that God will become our Father. He's saying that God can be a Father to us. He is a Father to us. He is able then to fulfill the fatherly role He has in our lives. If you don't fellowship, listen, how many have a, how many have a Father? Raise your hand. You have a Father. You have one, had one. Nobody came from the stork or an egg. We all know that, right? So we all have a father. Okay, some of you, I will not raise my hand for anything. So we have, a, we have a father, right? If you are not in fellowship with your father, you still have a father. If you're not walking with him and talking with him, you still have a father. That's the great thing about salvation. Once you're a child of God, nothing can separate you from his love. You can't lose being a part of God's family. God doesn't disown any of his children. If you're a child of God, you, he is your father. But if you are not in a right relationship with your father, he cannot be a father to you. Notice what he says, I will be a father to you. I can be then a father. Notice what he says, look at it. He says, I will receive you and be a father unto you. You know what God's saying? I know I'm your father, but I want to be your father. I want to be your father. Some of you had earthly dads. They were your father, but they didn't want to be your father. They didn't want to be your father. They didn't fellowship with you. They didn't treat you. They didn't love you the way the Bible says they should love. Hey, listen, uh, that's a sad thing in how human beings sometimes can treat other human beings, especially their family. The truth is, we have a father because we've been born again. And notice this, he wants to be a father to us. He wants to love us. He wants to receive us. 
He wants to provide for us. Hey, listen, let me ask you a question. When the prodigal left the porch and he went on, wasted all in riotous living, when he left the father's house, was the father still his father? Yes, but he could not be a father to him. Because he was not in fellowship. He was far away. He could not provide for him. He could not protect him. He took himself from the fellowship. And he walked away. You know, some Christians, come on, sometimes we do that, don't we? Though I forget him and wander away, still doth he love me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms will I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. What did that young man do? He came to himself, didn't he? He said, I realize I have a father, and he wants to be a father to me. He loves me. He'll receive me. And he went back, and he didn't say with entitlement, I deserve to be here. He said, forgive me. Notice the father received him because the son was repentant in his heart. He, he repented of his sin. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve, I don't deserve this relationship. Notice when we are walking as we should as Christians, God can receive us back into fellowship. God's relationship to us never changes, but his fellowship to us often can change. Not because he allows anything to separate him from us in love, Because he says nothing shall separate. But how often have you and I allowed something to separate us from loving the Father? We love something other than loving him. Hey, he never stopped loving me. He never stopped loving you. What did that that father do? That story of the prodigal is not so much about the sinfulness of the son as much as it is about the steadfastness of the father, isn't it? The father stayed on the porch. And he looked for him and he desired. He said, I want to be your father. I want to love you. I want to receive you. I want to restore you. I want to help you. But he didn't make him, did he? He waited for him. You know what God's doing for us? Waiting for us. You walked away. You're out of fellowship with God. You know what God wants to do? If we confess our sins, what he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he wants to put you right back in the fellowship. He wants to be a father to you. That's why he says to his church, ye which are spiritual, restore. You know what spiritual people do? They do what Jesus does. They restore people who are not in fellowship. They look to restore. You know what's necessary for restoration, though? That the person who's looking to be restored is repentant. I mean, they're not coming saying, I deserve, I have rights, I, I should be heard, I should be accepted, I, I should be able to do this, and I should be able to do No, no, no. No, I don't deserve. I don't have rights. I'm humble. I'm wrong. I want to be received. I want fellowship. Humility, repentance is a key to restoration of fellowship, isn't it? If my people, which are called by my name, it's a promise to Israel, I know, but notice the formula shall humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face. And notice the formula. Turn from their what? Wicked ways. He's saying, I can't receive you with your wicked ways. I can't receive you with your unrepentant heart. I can't receive you until you turn from your sin to the Savior. I can't receive you. Listen, the promises, if we'll come out and be separate, 
Get back in the fellowship. Desire to be restored. Have that right fellowship. You know what he says? I'll receive you. I will receive you. Don't you love that promise? We can go back knowing he's going to receive us. Listen, I never asked God to forgive me believing he wouldn't. I ask him, you know why often you'll go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, because you know he'll forgive you. You know why we pray? Because we know he listens, because we know he receives us. It's a promise. He will receive us and be a father, and be, we'll be his sons and his daughters. Don't you want to have that daddy again, that right relationship with him, that fellowship that's close? Notice this. I didn't call them promises. God did. Verse number 1, chapter 7. Having therefore these, what? Promises. Promises of verse 17 and 18. Having these promises. Dearly beloved. Again, he's talking to Christians, isn't he? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice what he says. There's something that you need to do. Too often, Christians deal with the symptoms and not the causes. We keep confessing the same sins because we haven't got to the root of the trouble. Listen, anybody ever take a a cologne shower? I see that all the time. I was walking down the aisle, the deodorant aisle in the Walmart. There was two young men, and they were in there. And they had found that Axe body spray. And boy, they were letting themselves have it. And I thought, boy, that reeks. You know what they were doing? Trying to cover up their stink. They said, boy, and I heard one say to the other one, man, I smell nasty. And so they took that spray and they sprayed it on him. And he sprayed it on him. And I said, boy, nasty still smells nasty, even when it's got cologne on it. And that kind of spray is not even, I don't even know if I classify that as cologne. They put that aerosol, they might as well went down the Lysol aisle and sprayed themselves. It probably would have done more good, at least it kills the bacteria, right? They sprayed that stuff on themselves. And I thought, that's what we do sometimes. We come to God and we try to spray ourselves with righteousness. And say, God, I'm clean because all this stuff that I did that's right. Your right never, never, never erases your wrong. You know what? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can make you clean is you coming clean with God. You've got to come to God and say, God, I don't want to cover him. Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso what? Confesseth and forsaketh shall have what? Mercy. Does God want to give us mercy? Yes, he does. Does God want to forgive us? Yes, he does. Does God please when we come to him and ask him forgiveness? Yes, he is. But God, can I remind you, as much as he's faithful, he is just. He doesn't do things the wrong way. He doesn't handle things wrong. He doesn't bend the rules to make you right. He says, here it is. This is what must be done This is what's required. Listen, when I see Jesus uh, dying on the cross, I don't see a God who bends the rules. I see a God who's willing to pour out his wrath on his only son because of our sin. He didn't bend the rules. 
He got everything that sin required. It required death, and the payment was blood, and it was the blood of an innocent one that could only pay the price, and Jesus is the only innocent one that could have died for you and could have died for me, and God didn't bend the rules for us. He's faithful and he's just. So when we get saved, hey, listen, don't bend the rules and coming back to God. You've got to come clean. Listen, don't take the cologne bath. Get in the shower and get clean. You know how we stay clean, Christian? Confess your sin because he forgives and cleanses. Got to. You got to say, I'm wrong. You got to repent of that sin in turn. And then the promise. Notice he says the filthiness of the flesh. You know why? Because sometimes it's a moral, it's a moral sin. It's something that we've done in the old nature, the filthiness of the flesh. Some pet sin that feeds the old nature, something we do with our bodies. Or notice he says in verse number one, it may be the filthiness of the spirit. Isn't that what Jesus revealed to those old Pharisees was just as bad as the, as the physical sin, the spiritual sin was just as bad? He says the filthiness of the Spirit, that's an attitude that is sinful. It's not just an action that is sinful, but an attitude that is sinful. Listen, the prodigal committed the sin of the flesh. The elder brother committed the sin of the Spirit. Neither one of them was right until they got it right with the Father. The elder brother had a bad attitude. He sinned in his spirit. He didn't ever leave and go and waste it all and write his living. But notice what God says. I want your body and I want your spirit because they're mine. And you're not to sin with either one of them. And when you do, you make it right. Notice the nature of fellowship, the command of fellowship, and then the promise of fellowship. And listen, I want to let God be a father to me. How about you? Because he's a good father. Does God take care of his own? Does he protect his own? Yes, but whom the Lord loveth also he chasteneth, the son in whom he delighteth. God doesn't let us have our way because he's a good father. Sometimes he gives us our way long enough for us to see the end of sin. Thankfully, hey, listen, the end of sin hadn't happened to me yet, although I deserve it. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth what? You're alive, aren't you? So God didn't let sin finish in you. And listen, don't play with it for too long because when it gets done with you, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. It'll strip you all your character. It'll take away all your, all your compassion. You'll be left with nothing. But we have a great, wonderful, loving Father. And He wants to be a Father to us as His children. And listen, as we fellowship together, let's not be unequally yoked together. Let's be in right relationship. Hey, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? I'm not saying, do you, do, do, you, do you want to go to heaven and not go to hell? That's not the question. Do you hate your sin and want Jesus as your Savior? You want to turn from your wicked ways to the Savior because you've seen that sin doesn't pay. Boy, it pays. It just hurts you and everybody else around you, doesn't it? Destroying your life. But hey, listen, you have a Savior who loves you, died for you, gave his life for you. He will receive you and be a father to you. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.
Here's a question. You know you're born the first time. Have you been born again? Do you know you've been born again? If you have that new nature, Christian, hey, listen, are you in right fellowship with the Lord? Is he that father to you? Don't we need him? Come on, don't we need him to be a father to us? I need it today. I need that father. Oh, boy, I need him to hug me and hold me and comfort me and be my father. Whereas we cry, Paul said, Abba, Father. He's our father. He's our dad. Be in a right relationship. Are you walking with him? Are you living according to his word? Listen, if you're not Christian, guess what? You can confess and forsake and have mercy today. You can get restored in the fellowship. You backslide in church before you ever do out of church. You can sit in the pew, listen to preaching week after week, and not be right with the Lord. But listen, have an opportunity this morning, all of us, to be in the right fellowship. That way, when we go and we have a meal together, we're right with the Lord. That's a one, you know that's going to make fellowship way more sweeter. Makes worship so much more meaningful. And allows the word of God to do so much more work as he progressively sanctifies us until he comes. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.